Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor. Don't like your odds? Enjoy daily bet boosts on your favourite sports and make your best bet now at betvictor.com. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Everyone and welcome to the Blue Day podcast. Yes, it was so nice we decided to do it twice. I am your host, Keith Lawrence, and here is my co-host with me today. He's the man who's based up north. He's the man who hates everything that's connected to Barcelona. It's Warren. Warren, welcome to the show. Hello, Keith. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Any repeat viewers, hopefully. How are we? Yes, there are many things you can do by the pier. A kiss and a group by the pier, eating Brighton's finest fish and chips on a deck chair by the pier, and getting three points by the pier. What we're going to talk about today, ladies and gentlemen, on this show, we're going to talk about a review of the Chelsea-Brighton game. We're going to go through each player and go through their, their performances. We're going to announce a brand new channel that will be connected to the Blue Day podcast. We're also going to talk about the lack of intelligence that the BBC Sports Punditry has, and we're going to preview the Liverpool game, what we expect and what we hope for, and we're going to finish the show, ladies and gentlemen, with feedback that we received over the last seven days in relation to this podcast. So without further ado, let's kick off with the review of the Chelsea-Brighton game. Warren, to start off with you, my friend, what did you make of it? Well, thank you very much, Keith. Um, well, I was, when I saw the starting lineup and saw the formation that we were going for, I could see what Frank was doing. I could see what he's trying to do. And let's, let's, let's not forget, right? Let's not forget, guys, the negatives that we could perhaps pick out from the game. It was the first day of the season. New players in the team, as well as having the same back five as last season. Um, so I was a little bit surprised he went with two defensive midfielders against Brighton. I think it invited them to play a bit higher up the pitch, which suited them better than it did us. But ultimately, yeah, really pleased with the three points. Werner looked really sharp. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll go through the players individually in a bit more depth in a little while. But ultimately, <clears throat> I think the most important thing that we take from yesterday's game is that in this exact fixture, in very similar circumstances last season, going away to Brighton and going 1-0 up, we drew that game. So yes. compar- comparably from last season to this, we're two points better off in adverted commas. So I think fundamentally that's the important thing to take from the game. That very encouraging to see Kante starting. It looks like he's definitely not going to leave. I think that's massive. So 
ultimately, I was a little bit surprised at the tactics. Can see what Frank was trying to do. Um, I think that with Pulisic and a few more wingers in the team, and you know the defence sorted out, Thiago Silva, Chilwell, etc. Um, obviously, going to be a new goalkeeper now. It would seem it will work with different personnel. It will work, and it will work better against other teams. But ultimately, I was disappointed with the performance. Ecstatic with the three points, massive. How, how about you, Keith? How, what did you? Think? Well, my initial thoughts on the starting eleven. The first one that really picked out was I'm pleased Kente was back in the team. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that you know he's going to be on the bench from now on, but it was just a case of it was refreshing to see him in the side, considering last season he was in and out. You know, inconsistency, injuries played a big part. Playing deep as well last night. Yes, there was parts of that game last night. He played his old style. He played his old style under Conte. And yes, he did go forward, which, you know, which which, which is fine. But overall, I thought he was outstanding. I'm not saying he's, you know, the player of old, because I think injuries have had an impact on that. But I thought it was refreshing. I was interested to see what uh, what the combination play between Havertz and Warner would conjure up. I, you know, I was interested to see what, how they would get on, but I was, I'll, I'll talk about them later on. But my last thought about the starting eleven, it was nice to see Loftus cheek back yes. because you know, and I will mention this to to kick off the show. Bearing in mind, yes, he received a lot of criticism last night, but let's just bear in mind the lack of football he's had over the past. Not just two months, six weeks, nearly a hot, well, over a year. Two, two years. Nearly, yeah, pretty much two years he has suffered. It was at the back end of Sari's season where he picked up the injury because he was ruled out of the Europa League final. It was complete bollocks, the reason that he got injured, to be honest with you. It was absolute bollocks. We shouldn't have been there, in spite of it being a great cause. And obviously, I advocate the fact that we support that. So those were my initial thoughts going into the game. But Warren, I would like to ask you, considering that you're the away day specialist, um, have you have you been to Brighton? Um, I haven't been to Brighton's new stadium, but I've not been to the Amex. I've been past it on the motorway. It looks like a beautiful stadium. Yes. Uh, no, I ha- actually haven't. It's one of the only Premier League grounds I've not been to. Surprised, surprised. I haven't been down Brighton for football uh, purposes, but I've been down Brighton a couple of times. One moment in particular was for a stag do a few years ago. And the there is a very, I can't remember the name of it, but there is a very, very good gentleman's club. Stayed there for a while. I will just leave it on this note. The stag left with a smile on his face and my wallet took a beat in that night. That's all I'm going to say on that. Speaking of seeing something sexy that moves quick, what about Reese James's strike wow. last night? Yeah. Um, Stunning. Well, the, the interesting thing is, is that they, they touched on it before. Um, I was actually speaking about this with uh, actually one of one of the people that's tuned in and has left a little bit of feedback. Um, his name's Aaron. He's from South London, Surbiton Way. Um, I know he'll be listening to, to this. Po- I know he'll be. I know he'll be listening to this podcast. But I was talking about it with him about the the depth of right backs in the Premier League and all of them English. I mean, they they gave an interesting stat on Sky Sports last night that ten of the sixteen right backs that started over the on the first day of the season in the Premier League, ten of the sixteen right backs were English. You know. And Tarek Lamperty had an absolutely terrific match. He was man of the match, in my opinion. He was absolutely fantastic. But the reason that Lamperty left Chelsea is because we've got Reese James. I can't see 
I can't see Lamptey getting above oh, Rhys James. Not at the moment, it, it, certainly. Certainly mm. not at the minute. I mean, Rhys James has had a, a season where he's been in and out and then in a bit more towards the end of the season, his breakthrough season. He obviously had a terrific season at Wigan in the Championship with Wigan Player of the Year championship, in the Championship Team of the Year. Um, and yeah, yeah, like fantastic. So at the moment, for sure. But yeah, Lamperty played really well. And I just wanted to put that one in there as, you know, fair play to Tarek. I hope he has a really successful career from now. He's clearly a terrific player, ultimate professional, played really well. And, but yeah, Reese James, what a strike, man. <laughs> I mean, what are right backs doing? Gary Neville said it after the game. He was like, look, I've inspired this because nobody wanted to be a right back. Now everybody wants to be a right back. And I don't know about you, Keith. I'm going to ask you your opinion on this um, because I had a good, really good think about it last night. Who do you think that this, the mould of Reese James, the type of right back that he is, that's similar to Kyle Walker and Trent Alexander-Arnold? For me, that all started with Danny Alves about 15 years ago at Barcelona. the modern day modern day fullback. Yes, and, and that's yes. what and that's what Reese James looks like because he's quick and he's strong. I mean, he's an absolute tank, isn't he? He's an athlete. I would. He, he, he is an athlete. Yeah, I can imagine him being able to just turn up to a game of tennis and just be brilliant at it. And, you know, not professional, but like I can imagine him turning up and playing golf and just being brilliant at it. He's just looked, like you said, he's a natural sportsman. He's fantastic. What a strike. Mm. These were my general notes from the game. And I haven't obviously done too many, but I've, I've, just, I've just done a few. Some that I thought, you know, were really uh, quite telling last night. I thought the way we played was a lot similar to last season, whether it's because of the, the majority of the team were the same from last season. But we struggled to put at least three passes together between defence and midfield. And against Liverpool, we could possibly understand. But Brighton... We give the ball away like we did yesterday in the positions that we gave it away as well. We do that against a top side like Liverpool, Man City, Man United... Uh, not that they're a top side, but if you do that against a team that are set up the way that Arsenal are set up, we will get found out very, mm. very quickly. Uh, it was important that Kante was in the team last night. There was three or four times that Brighton nipped the ball off of us and could have had a really good chance at a counter-attack. And Kante just broke it up, got in the way, slowed it down, and it was Kante being in that deeper role that was the difference, essentially. And so Frank got that one spot on because... I think we won because we had Kante in the team. I thought there wasn't enough attacking penetration. No. Werner, especially especially when we scored the first goal. I thought when we, you know, when we scored the first goal, we've got pace to burn now with Werner, Havertz, you know, and even Mason Mount. You know, Mason Mount is a quick player. But I don't think there was enough of that. You know, I thought we sort of sat back a little bit and allowed Brighton to come at us. You know, we nearly got caught out as soon as they equalised. But then James... Saved us, basically. I thought Timo Werner for his debut looked lively. He had a dead leg the whole match. Yes. You know, as soon as he got clattered with the keeper, he, he, he had a dead leg and he just, he didn't look sort of the same from that. But for a debut, I thought was very good. Yes, he didn't score, but, you know, let's, let's be perfectly... Let's he made be, a goal. He goes, I mean, let's he, be honest. He, he officially gets the assist, right? In the official statistics of the Premier League, if you win a penalty... And they and it's scored directly. Then you get the assist. Mm. Um, that I settled for thirty-eight assists. I think that with Timo Werner, there is going to be a a lot of expectation on him 
They're similar to what Alvaro Morata had, similar to what Andrei Shevchenko had. But I think the difference is with Werner is I think that he's suited to the Premier League, yes. whereas I think the previous two that I just mentioned was not. She- Shevchenko, uh, Shevchenko for playing his whole career in Italy, when he came to England, it looked like Alan Hansen, of all people, called it absolutely spot on. I'm going back to a match of the day 15 years ago nearly. And he said he, he looks like he's pulling a train. And that was absolutely yeah. right. Werner, Werner looks like a train. <laughs> Ran like a gazelle. I mean, he, he's, his pace was just outstanding. Jorginho, by the way, lovely bit of play from Jorginho to get to uh, cut the ball out, forced a mistake from Brighton to create the penalty. Yes. Wasn't, wasn't the best pass was actually overplayed. Lampard called it after the match, and I said it at the time. It was actually overplayed for Werner to react like that within the first 15 minutes of the brand new season or whatever, 20 minutes, whatever it was. For him to react and have that sharpness, oh, my God, he looks like he's going to hit the ground running. That one game, but looked good. Well, the one for me as well that I looked at, I mean, we are praising Timo Werner, but the three that obviously I picked out in general overall from the match that I thought should have improved will need to improve, especially with, uh, you know, the champions coming up. Loftus-Cheek. Can we not Mount, refer to... Can, no, no, just leave And Havertz, I thought... Sorry to cut you off there, Keith. That's terribly rude of me. Can we not refer to them as... Can we just... They're, they're Liverpool. Let's not refer to them as the champions. That's almost like we sat here praising them. Fuck Liverpool. When right. we beat them on Sunday, Correct. we won't need to mention the word... Champions again, but no, only in reference. I take your point. Yes, I take your point. Okay, sorry, on this sorry. show, I, I know the... I know that your hatred of, of Liverpool is equal to mine. I, I, I mean, I don't dispute that, but let's not refer to them as the champions because it pisses me off. So we're okay to agree. We will not call them the c words, correct? Not that one. Not that particular c word, right? No worries. Okay, back to my point. Unbelievable you are. You know, Unbelievable. Do you know what your point was now? Sorry. I do, yes, because I wrote it down from last ah. night. Loftus-Cheek, Mount and Havertz, I thought their combination play was very ineffective, but I get the fact that they've never played before. Mm-hmm. But again, I think against the team <clears throat> Brighton, West Brom and Fulham, I think we can get away with. Loftus-Cheek looked rusty. Very, very rusty. Very off the pace. Havertz looked rusty. He's not crap. I don't care what any alleged Chelsea player says on social media, and we may talk about that, but it was we signed him, what, 10 days ago? Yeah. He only trained start of last week. Because he would have had to have come in and quarantined. It's not even like he was he around. Would, yes, he, yes. It's not even like he's in and around the team and in and around the club and learning everyone's... I mean, you know everyone's name anyway, pretty much, but... You know, it's not like, you know, when you first turn up to training for the first time and you don't know what gate to go in and all the rest of it. You're not sat there being a professional. <laughs> you're not sat there thinking. No, but you know what I mean, Keith? I mean, at the end of the day, he's still a real person. He's a, uh, Keith, let's have this right. 21 years old and he's living in a different country. Yes, he's a professional footballer. He expects it. And I'm not saying that he should be treated any differently be- because of it. But he's a young man that's moved to a different country. That's right. Like, you know what I mean? That's right. You know, and he had... And I'll tell you what impressed me last night. He was running back after a solid march, I think it was, in about the 75th, 76th minute. And he looked really leggy. He looked like he was treading water. And all of a sudden, he thought, no, fuck this. I need to get back goal side of him. This isn't good. Havertz lost the ball, didn't he, on that right side? He lost the ball. And and won it back on the edge of his own box. Right? Now, that, for me, that said everything I needed to know about his attitude. Right? It's, It's the same as last season that, 
Mount and Tamori and Tammy and Reese James and everything. It wasn't about them being perfect or world class. And it wasn't really about the execution of what they was doing. It was about making the right decisions and having the right attitude. And that's exactly what Kai Havertz and Timo Werner done last night without either of them being anywhere near their best. That's what both of them did. They had the correct attitude. It's how N'Golo Kante is every time he steps on the pitch. It's how Frank Lampard was every time he stepped on the pitch. He had the correct attitude and the correct approach to the game, which was a positive one. And I just feel, I just feel like Ruben, it, it specifically picking up Ruben, didn't really have that. Correct. I, you know, I thought Loftus Cheek, you know, was very ineffective. I think a lot of people were surprised he started, let alone you know with his performance. He hasn't got a position. I've never known him to play the same position two matches in a row. He's either a little bit left or wide left or wide right or a little bit right or central or deep or advanced or free roll and just where does he play? Like, I, I think there will be uh, a time where on one particular episode we will talk about Loftus-Cheek because yeah, he sure. is a bit of a myth. You know, what? what is his best position? And how far can he go with this team? And we spoke about Hudson-Odoi and Tammy last week on the show about this season is a big one for them. You know, are they going to sink or swim? I think the same I think the same should be said for Loftus-Cheek. But speaking of young players that I thought were, were very, very good last night, Christensen. Yeah. I thought he read the game outstandingly well. Yeah. There was times where Brighton were, you know, about to... F- feed the ball through the middle between midfield to attack and Christensen just read it. Particularly in the second half, I think he yes. came across he came across yes. from sort of right to left, but his mm. left to right because he was facing his own goal. And he, he read it really well. There was a few times like that and yeah, for sure. Panicky sometimes, Zuma. He's a little bit uh, like he's a little bit stabs at the ball a little bit sometimes, just in a desperate attempt to get any kind of contact on the ball rather than concentrating on positioning himself properly. John Terry was a master at not making a tackle, but doing everything he needed to do. Zuma looks desperate to tackle all the time. I'm hoping this season Thiago Silva will do a lot of work with him on the training ground. Because for me, Kurt Zuma is one of them centre-backs that needs to play with someone older than him, more experienced than him, for him to develop into... Zuma doesn't have that experience. No, he hasn't. I mean, when he first came to the club, he had... John Terry. And Gary Cahill. He was yes. playing in a three with Azpilicueta, possibly. I mean, I think he was actually at Everton there, but like, I know what you mean. Them players were there. Yes, and I think last season, in a defensive role, he didn't have that. So, But again, for me, I thought Christensen was very, very good. The quicker Chilwell is fit, the better, the better it will be for the defence. I think, you know, Marcus Alonso's performance last night didn't prove anything different to what a lot of Chelsea fans already know he's not a left back. He's a left wing back and he struggled against Lamptey. And for me, Ben Chilwell will be first choice left back. There's no doubt about that. And maybe the performance last night from Marcus Alonso, either he tried too hard or psychologically he knew because he's not going to be first choice left back, it affected his performance. That's the way I'm looking at it. I actually think that Marcus Alonso played really well last night. I think that he was left one-on-one all night with a very direct and quick and skillful wing-back who was hungry as anything against his former club to really prove a point out. You shouldn't have fucking let me go. 
and he did it, for my opinion, Lamberty was man in a match last night. I think Brighton were actually the better team, but Lamberty was man in a match for me. And I think Marcus Alonso has done really well. I don't particularly remember a lot of crosses coming from over there. I don't remember them getting passed into the byline an awful lot. I don't remember him getting caught out behind. It did take away what is brilliant about Marcus Alonso, which is Marcus Alonso going forward, because I also don't remember Alonso feeding a ball into the box or crossing it or having a shot or anything like that either. So it did clearly affect his forward abilities. But I actually think Marcus Alonso had a very good game. I think if you look at where the danger came from, it was never Marcos Alonso's fault, so to speak. I think he positioned himself quite... I think he's learnt quite a lot over the summer. And I think he's actually... Knuckle, I think he knows that when they play a four, Chilwell's going to be in the team. But when they play a five, he's got half a chance. And I actually think that he knuckled down and showed that he can defend. Because Frank knows what he can do going forward. We all know what he can do going forward. He's one of the best attacking fullbacks in the league. You know, he's you know he's, he's, he's scored more goals as a defender since he's been in the Premier League than any other defender in the same period of time. I believe that's correct, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. So... Um, you know, Frank knows what he can do going forward. Marcus knows that. I think he actually had a, a reasonably good game defensively last night. Um, so I wasn't, yeah, I, Marcus Alonso was one of my seven and a half out of tens. He was one of my better performers in the. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Okay. Only taken two episodes, but we have dis- we have disagreed on something. We have disagreed on. <laughs> I do. I do. However, I do. However, totally agree that Chilwell is going to be our first choice left back, and he has to get back, and he has to get fixed. I think it's very important for the system. Mm. However, last night I feel like the absence of Chilwell wasn't as important as the absence of Pulisic or Zayek. Absolutely. Absolutely. Has it been confirmed yet why Pulisic was out? Because I have I have heard through the grapevine certain stories that have come out over the last few hours. But have you have you heard well, anything? Well, the, I've I've, been, I've read one or two things and sort of trying to put my logical, intuitive mind to it. I suppose that the conclusion I came to is that he did have quite a few injuries last season. He struggled to get two months where he was you know fit. Um, then there was the whole lockdown, then there's this restart to the Premier League and it all being up in the air. The fact that he pulled a hamstring in the cup final uh, not six weeks ago, and that can sometimes keep people out for three months. I just think that Lampard thought, who am I going to, if if it is at all a risk, who am I going to risk him against, Brighton or Liverpool? And I think mm. Frank made a choice. I think Frank made a choice. and And when he made that choice not to play Pulisic, I am absolutely shocked that Giroud didn't start because Werner had nobody to link up with because he had no wingers. If Werner can play left, centre or right, his preferred position is usually coming in from the left. I think that Lampard wants to play him down the middle because he wants to play Pulisic out there and Adoy out there, for example. Right? So I can understand moulding Werner down the centre a bit more. But last night, you know, needs must. I was very surprised that Giroud didn't start because I think Giroud and Timo, oh, I tell you what, that that excites me. And Giroud, you know, 34, 35-year-old striker, probably only got a year left in him at the club. But at the moment, I think he could be so important. Until we've got a fully fit squad and we've got a bit of rhythm and momentum and stuff, I think Giroud and his experience as well. I mean, as good as Werner is, Giroud's got all the experience in the world. Giroud's World Cup winner. Giroud's experience will help Timo I believe this season which I think it is important to keep Olivier Giroud I can't believe I'm saying it but it's important to keep Olivier Giroud this season I really like Giroud I 
for the development of Timo, and it will make Timo a better striker. You're and, absolutely and right. Well. And Tammy yes, and well. Tammy. We have, yeah, you know, we can't forget him. No, 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 we can't forget him. I still see Tammy as a massive part of the future of Chelsea Football Club, the success of Chelsea Football Club. I still think Tammy could be pivotal. Look at, look at Jamie Vardy. Still, who scores more goals than Jamie Vardy? Like, it's unreal, like, English-wise. You know, he's got another couple on the first day, you know. So, I think, I think it's so important to have that kind of player who's connected to your club so much. One thing I will mention, uh, especially that... I was pleased with, and I'm always pleased when this happens. It's nice to score from a corner. Yeah. We didn't not, do we didn't do enough of that last one. season. And not concede from one. We'll talk about where well, we will talk about that later. But for you know, I was pleased for Zuma. You know, I don't think he scores enough goals. Yeah. He doesn't score enough goals for me, Kurt Zuma, but it was nice to he have does get to, a few harshly disallowed. It was nice to see a, the broad smile on his face knowing that he did score. For me, that completely killed the game. You know, the third goal just killed Brighton off. They oh, did look leggy. but I, I, just... I, th- I think Reese James's goal 30 seconds after they scored killed them off. Apart from the Lewis dunk header. Oh, my God. That was Havertz's fault. If anything, it was Havertz's fault. That was Havertz. Yeah, not picking up the moment. man. Yeah. But, I, you know, looking from the psychological point of Brighton trying to get the equaliser, and they were a threat for, for much of that game. As soon as Zuma scored the third, because you can tell with the deflection off uh, Webster, I believe it was, yeah. you can tell Webster's face was like, that's yeah. it. We, we can't do much more. But for me, uh, that, those, those are my overall faults. But in regards to, let's talk about the players that we haven't mentioned yet that did yeah. play. There's, I was going to say, there is a elephant in the room right now. Well, let's start with that. Let's start with the goalkeeper. I'm going to try and look at it from a positive spin. You know, you've mentioned the performance was a bit dire last night. I'm going to try and be a little bit more of the positive side. Apart from the mistake, did he do much else? Not really. He got in front of everything, which is which is his job. He flat, did make flap at a corner in the first half. He did flap at a corner, but you know, I think it, it's a bit of a, a rush from his point of view. You I'm know, I'm gonna I think, say I think it's a bit harsh to desperately for, for. I think what Chelsea, sorry there, Keith. I think what Chelsea fans are doing that me and you are trying not to do is they're desperately trying to find specific moments to show that he's shit. I believe he showed that last season. And I think that it doesn't matter what he does between now and when he retires. I think Chelsea fans will label him as that particular description. But he he did pull off a good save early in the first half, yeah, which possibly last season he could have fumbled. But the goal that Brighton scored, it was a mistake. Let's not beat around the bush. It was a mistake. He has no strong wrists. Everything goes through his wrists and hands. And listen, I have taught goalkeepers, not at a professional level, but semi-pro and amateur. I've taught goalkeepers. And the one thing that you have to have is strong wrists to palm things away, to punch things away. And Kepper doesn't do that. There was one bit in the second half where there was a corner coming in Kepper had about four Brighton players around him. Zuma got it out. That one. Yeah, yes. And I'm expecting Kepper to be commanding. I expect Kepper to be intimidating. He just looked like a kid that lost a lollipop. 
he, you know, he just. I he, think the fact that he's childish looking, he's he's very young looking, very boyish, very you know, he's boyish, good looks, he's very good looking man. It's a shame he's not as good a goalkeeper. I don't give a fuck about his good looks. I want him to be a beast but as a goalkeeper. And... It makes him vulnerable. It makes him vulnerable because people take advantage of it, and he's never found a way of standing up to it. It's almost, but it, he has no upper body strength. No, it doesn't. Seem you know, much. he has no. It looked that there was a, a screenshot from the corner. And it was coming on the right-hand side. You can see the players surrounding the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper, the goalkeeper's tall, but all the players are surrounding on top of him. He looked like a child, you know, and he didn't act. For me, he's not a top-level goalkeeper. I can't believe I'm going to say this, and forgive me, uh, Chelsea supporters, but I did agree with Jamie Carragher. Last night in his assessment, we did get done in bringing Kepper into the club for the price tag. Because we missed out on Alisson. Let's bear in mind, it was his release clause. You know, Atletico Bilbao did not ask for that particular money. That was his release clause in the contract. We were foolish enough, desperate. That's the key word of it. We was desperate to pay for that. And... I believe the signs are there that Kepper will not be number one between now and the end of the season, most definitely. So we will see on what happens with that. But for me, Frank did the right thing to say that he was happy with him because what's Frank going to do? Frank's not going to label him. What if the other goalkeeper comes in and gets injured? He needs Kepper again. Frank's not going to label him lazy like certain other London managers have done in the last 48 hours. But will Kepper play on Sunday? It'll be interesting to see if, you know, once Mendy's signed, it wouldn't surprise me if Kepper played. No, I think Kepper will play. Wouldn't surprise me. Which is is why I think Frank said he was happy with him. Yes. Exactly. I, I totally agree with that. I agree with that analysis. I think that that's the only reason that Kepper will be playing because Mendy won't have been with us for long enough. The thing is, last night, if if Kepper touches that, it literally, it's a case of if Kepper touches that round the post, then half of the pressure goes away. Like literally, like literally, that one moment. I think that we could look back at the entirety of last season at Kepper's performances and stuff. But then you could look at all of Adoy's and Loftus Cheeks' performance last season and. Christiansen and Zuma and Rudiger and Alonso and say that none of them were good enough. So it's a collective. It's yeah, a yeah. Collective. I don't think, yeah, last season, I don't think Kepper was any worse than anybody else's sort of like worst performances or whatever. But this season, if he would have just touched that round the post, half of the pressure would have gone because it would have been a brand new season and he would have kept a clean sheet and he would have won two or three nil and we would have won two or three nil whilst not looking very good and whilst not having our best players in the rhythm of the game and a lot of our players out and all these other things that we've already spoken about, I think that the outlook would have been so different. And there would have almost been an, there would have almost been an excuse for the people that supported Kepa to have supported him. It would have almost justified it. And that, that would have filtered through to Kepa, through the fans, through the players, through social media to him. And I think it would have boosted his confidence so much that we potentially could have had a good goalkeeper. Now... I don't really see too many ways back for him. And this is, I, I said last week, it was controversial that I had an opinion on Kepa that I wanted him to be the number one goalkeeper this season. But after that, whether he can be a good goalkeeper or not, I don't think he can be for Chelsea. Yeah, I think you've just hit, you've, you've, you've just hit it right on the head. One of the players that I would like to talk about as well was Mason Mount, who, I've again, people... People will see football differently. You know, millions of people watch the same match, but they see it 
a million different ways. I thought Mount was ineffective for me. Lovely first touch. You know, his, his technique is fabulous. You know, let's, let's put it mildly. He's fabulous. But I, what I want to see from Mason Moore is more of a threat from goal-scoring positions. Now, he can't do that in that formation last night. He can't do that in the position, but he's not a wide player. Uh, and he was forced if he plays as well. He if he plays as a ten and an eight, yeah, he can do that. Yeah. And all he has to do, he can even speak. You know, Mason, if you if you are if you are eventually listening to this, contact me. I will give you all the season reviews that Frank Lampard was in and where Frank Lampard was playing. And I will give you the season reviews and you can watch him from being a threat from goal scoring positions because I believe Mason has the capabilities to I do that. I 100% agree. I think that the two issues with that is that we had too many centre midfielders on the pitch last night because we didn't have enough wingers. I think that shows why Lampard wanted to keep William. Shows exactly why he wanted to keep William. Because that's why he offered him a two-year contract, not a one-year contract, even though he wanted a three. Well, the club did. Because Frank wanted to keep William, because William would have been huge last night. But Mount was obviously played out of his most effective position. You know, he obviously wasn't played in his most effective position by any stretch of the imagination. The one thing I will say that I noticed is that when he left the pitch, he had no socks left because he had fucking run them off. <laughs> so, yeah, he worked his socks off last night. He literally, you know... He was. He, he really, really, really did work his socks off. I mean, I know Ruben had to change his socks, but he didn't work them off. Mason did. I will be surprised if Lampard's two first-choice wide players is not Pulisic and Ziyech. I will be surprised if he thinks that Mount could maybe replace one or two of them, or maybe Hudson. I can't see that. That's not where Mason's going to play. No. Mason's going to play. Funny enough, Mason Mount has had. Two, even though he's worked really hard in both of the games, his two opening games of the season for Chelsea, he sort of played in that almost wide left role because he played it against Man United last year. Mm. And he had a poor game then and got bullied off the ball and looked like a little boy and just didn't look like he belonged in the Premier League. And then the next week he played in the midf- central midfield role, pressing high against Leicester and pressed so high that he won the ball back and got a goal. And he did the same against uh, Norwich the following week. Yes. Again, high up high up mm. the pitch, bit of pressure, him and Tammy Lincoln, you know. So, yeah, he was obviously played out of position, out of necessity last night, um, but worked really, really hard. Definitely. So those were my overall comments and views on last night. Listen, you know, I know there's a lot of negativity on social media at the moment. Some of it is fair. Some of it definitely not fair. But let's just put it into perspective into perspective for our listeners as well that probably will have the same ethos you know will have the same outlook on it first game of the season is always difficult you know and our performances at this stage of the season is not expected it's the results that count you know we need to set a marker for this well, season hey, listen, we, we was better than Liverpool well you know again we will talk about that sort of later on, but Liverpool yeah. did show defensive frailties, which I think with Werner, Havertz, who will have another couple of days training with us, hopefully Pulisic will be back. We don't know for sure, but with those players, I think Van Dijk's going to have a very, very difficult time. But was there anything that I said that was a bit different to your thoughts, Warren? Or uh, No, not really. Like I said, I touched on the fact that I thought Alonso actually had quite a good game. 
I think with Kepa, um, Lampard knows his frail is so much that obviously everybody else does. So there was quite a few occasions last night that Lamperty was picking up the ball. And he was only really, he was still, even though obviously he was much further out wide, he was still in a position where he was further than the distance of the box away from the goal. He was still 30 or 40 yards out. And Zuma and Christiansen were taking up positions on the edge of the six-yard box to protect Kepa from crosses. Mm. And all that done was brought Brighton 20 yards further forward, which means we could never get out, which means we never got a rhythm, which meant we had sloppy passes, which meant we could never get the support up to Werner. And I think that all came from that. And I think that that's the main reason that Kepa needs replacing. I mean, he could, he's shown he's a great shot stopper in close. Right? When people are in close, he's a good shot stopper. He's a good reaction shot stopper. But if he's not great at dealing with long shots, we can counter that by having our team pressed high to stop the high ball, to stop the long shot. But then all they're going to do is go wide and cross it, and he can't catch it. So, because we don't trust him to catch it, so we have to sit deep. So I think that's the reason Kepa has to go. But other than that, no, let's touch on Barkley very quickly. I think he came on, he looked quite bright. I think that he sort of took the game he took the game on in the way that Ruben should have um so I think Barkley looked quite I think he'd done himself a few favours um looking ahead to the Liverpool game he usually plays quite well against Liverpool being a Merseyside boy Jorginho is the silent assassin don't think anybody mentioned him last night apart from the assist but he didn't really put a foot wrong and didn't get but very good penalty yeah, very good penalty. Wasn't very, it? very good penalty. Wasn't, wasn't even looking at the ball. Uh, so, uh, and like I said, I think, again, said it before, and I think we'll pretty much sort of like wrap the review of the game up here, perhaps. But I'll say it, I'd like to leave it on myself. Let's remember we drew this fixture one all last season. Agreed. Absolutely 100% agreed. If for, if for some instance you disagree with our reviews or if you disagree with our thoughts on the game or perhaps that you maybe agree with what we discussed with the Brighton game, you can comment to our email address. It is at the blue day podcast at gmail.com. Your views and comments will be aired on the show as we will be talking about later on with some feedback that we have received over the last seven days. If you perhaps agree with the starting 11, if there's anybody in particular that you wish that played last night, or if you wish that, you know, perhaps would be dropped permanently, maybe Kepa, Please email us at thebluedaypodcast at gmail.com. Your views will be appreciated and your views will be on air. So, Warren, that's the review. But would you like to announce a sister station? Let's, let's, uh, let's sort of describe that. A sister channel. Yes. Which, which, which would be more accurate for the Blue Day podcast that has just been created within the last 48 hours. I'll leave the floor to you, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, what it is, listeners, is over the weekend, I created a YouTube channel um, called The Blue Day Podcast. It can be, because it's a brand new channel, it's slightly tricky to find in the YouTube search bar. So there will be links and videos that are on the Facebook page, which is The Blue Day Podcast. There will also be, you know, um, I'm sure Keith can sort out some links in the description for this show, maybe some, you know, direct links to YouTube to take you there. Please subscribe. Please have a look at the videos on there. Let us know what you think. Um, If there's anything in particular that you'd like to be uploaded to YouTube, a particular memory or video that you have of Chelsea, please send it in to us. And if, you know, appropriate, 
if it's appropriate then you know we can add it to the youtube channel it's not just going to be our videos and stuff so yeah you know and you know leave your comments there's a few good videos on there there's some classic moments and there's some funny moments and there's a few moments from that I've recorded in the ground. There's one in particular that's probably one of my favourite videos, which is Williams' penalty against Tottenham last season when we won 2-0. Um, I was sat with, uh, I don't know, what was it, Key four or five foot from the Tottenham fans. Um, not even that, wasn't it? Yeah, not, not <laughs> even that. And I am a big, big wind-up merchant. I've got quite big ears, and one of the Tottenham fans was telling me, yeah, you've got, look at the size of your fucking ears. I went, yeah, I know, they're massive, aren't they? And they're like my cock as well. At least that's what your wife tells me every night. It was absolutely brilliant. So that's so there's a lot of good, fun videos on there. There's, he's put up some really good videos recently from Chelsea TV and from In the Ground himself, match warm-ups and everything. So, yeah, get amongst it, you know. We'll get your videos uploaded. Comment, please like and subscribe. And again, to the Facebook page as well, the Blue Day Podcast. That's where you'll find the links for all of our shows. That's where you'll find all of our reviews. That's where you'll find all of our links to YouTube, all of our iTunes account and everything. And within the next coming weeks, we're going to get onto social media and we're going to create an Instagram account. We're going to do a Twitter. So, yeah, you know, get amongst it because you guys, I mean, as much as me and Keith enjoy this, we're doing this for you guys. We want you guys to have an unfiltered platform to air your views. As we said last week, it's very important to us that we're getting real Chelsea fans' opinions, ones that go unnoticed on social media, ones that go unnoticed on TV, ones that go unnoticed on the radio because they never air their views properly. We will, so please get in touch. Thank you very much. I believe that um, we are looking to upload some more videos onto the YouTube channel this week. As my good co-host just said, if you have any particular videos of yourself in the ground with your mates, or if there's any particular goal celebrations that you caught on camera, reactions to goals. I recorded myself last night um, and I've uploaded that to YouTube, which is quite funny to watch, I think, for Jorginho's penalty. So, yeah, you know, moments like that with your mates, especially during this lockdown period, not, not, not as many of you are at the pub or none, no one, nobody's at the game. So, this is what we have for now. So, yeah, please get in touch. Brilliant. Uh, Warren, I just want to get your thoughts on uh, some particular transfer news that came sort of through the, the last few days or not. Mishi Bashwai's gone on loan to Crystal Palace, an area that you know well. He's obviously rejoined them because he, he was there a couple of seasons ago. Do you think that's a good move for him? I, I, well, I think for him it's a great move. And I think it's an even better move for Crystal Palace. Um, he actually said, I mean, he, he only played 13 games there, but he actually said it was the closest thing in terms of football that he's ever felt to going home. Because a lot of the Palace players are the same. The staff are the same. The ground's the same. The fans the same. It's still Croydon. It's still a shithole. Everything's still the same, right? So he said he feels like he's going home. I think he'll be a success there. I think it might convince Wilf almost to stay. And I think Palace will have quite a good season. I think that... We touched upon it last week that we've given him a new contract, loaned him out to, to make sure that we recoup our money because that's what we do in the transfer market. We get our money back. Good, yeah. move, good move for it. I'm pleased I think, for I'm, I, I'm think pleased it's a good move. I, I'm pleased for Mitchie. He probably doesn't live... He probably lives down in Surrey somewhere. He's not going to be far from Croydon. I think he'll have a successful season there. And then who knows? Next season, if Frank... The, you know, if Giroud goes and if Frank decided to get rid of Tammy, who's to say that he wouldn't bring in another striker and bring in Mitchie as one of the three strikers that we have? So, yeah, I, I'm I, I'm glad that he's not been sold. Well, I think it was for the club's 
a benefit. It was going to be ludicrous to maybe sell him, you know, like now. But like, yeah, we'd have only got ten million for him in the last year of his contract. Exactly, with his last year of the contract, and also there wasn't a lot of suitors for Mishi because of the price tag. Now with a new contract, depending how he gets on with Palace, who knows? Is it like, he, a, is it like a thirty million, thirty-two million? We we've slapped on him for the end if they want to buy him. I mean, I they, think they, it was they a, can yeah. negotiate. They, they, I mean, it's not one of them ones that's set in stone. That they, Palace are allowed to negotiate. And then even if they buy him for 32 million, I still think we get first option to buy him back as well. Great move for him. I think he will score goals. You know, he's a much better striker than Christian Benteke. So in my honest personal opinion, you know, the club's decision of see how he gets on at Palace if he scores over 15 goals and Frank still doesn't want him, then we'll sell him. You know, probably not sell him for profit because we did pay around, I believe it was, 20, about, 30, it was about 27, 28, yeah, 28 yeah. million pounds for him. Good so money, I can't, money. I can't see us maybe getting a profit on that. But again, good luck to the guy. I think he's about a, profit. If we can get our money back and he won us the league, happy days. Well, he won us. You know, his goals were crucial, I thought. Yeah, crucial time. Conte's first season, you know, the goal against Watford. Yeah. Away. The goal against West Brom away. The goal against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League. In conclusion, you know, Michy, good luck. If if you're going to come back a stronger player, then that can only be good for the club. Get a couple couple of winners against Tottenham and Liverpool and United this year. You know. Exactly. Exactly. He can take points off of our rivals, Michy Batshuayi. That's why he's gone to a London club. Frank knows that. He can take points off of our rivals because Palace always do. And they have got a good record of that. Absolutely. Against us, Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, they've beaten them all. So, at this moment in time, we are in a good mood. You know, myself is in a good mood. You're in a good mood. You know, but we're now going to sort of change the mood a little bit. Whether or not you've seen this, ladies and gentlemen, we we are going to go through it. It's something that's stuck in my mind when I first saw it, and I believe on my co-host, it also stuck on their mind. It's the BBC Pundits predictions. And now, if you haven't seen this, we will upload it onto the Facebook uh, page as well. So, you know, feel free to have a look. But it is on their BBC Sports app. And it is a list of, and I will use the term loosely, pundits. You know, some of these I would def, you know, definitely not subscribe as pundits, but unfortunately they are paid by the BBC as pundits. Well, I say that they're being paid through us uh, yeah. by being pundits. You know, let's put it right. But there's a list of ex-footballers, some very, very good footballers, some very amateur footballers that uh, provided their predictions for this season. Chris Sutton, one of the average like, amateur ones. Was Chris Sutton one of the average You leave Chris Sutton alone. Okay, you, listen, you was like this last week with Mr. Sutton. You leave him alone. Mr. But... Sutton. Mr. Sutton. Keith, me and you are going to fall out. <laughs> you, leave, you leave Mr. Sutton out of it. Listen, there, there is a, a list of ex-players that we all go through with their predictions. So let's start with the one that was at the top. And Chris Waddle believes that Man United will win the league. Yeah. Um, I... The thing is, I do try and find a way to defend Chris Waddle because he was a fabulous footballer. I, I think that not a lot. I think people only know Chris Waddle as a pundit and someone who missed a penalty. I think people miss out on the fact that he was one of the first English players to go abroad and be successful 
and he is, you know, talk about a cultured left foot. I do try and defend Chris Waddle. I don't see Man United winning it because as much as I think Liverpool have stood still, I still don't think Man United are good enough. I still don't think they've got the depth. I still think the hay is a big question mark. I still think the defence is a big question mark. I still see Man United. I see Man United kind of exactly where Chelsea are right now, which is all the potential to move on, but not necessarily quite there yet. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they go. Um, it's interesting that he's gone for, obviously, he's gone for then Man City, Liverpool, then Chelsea. Um I don't think I think it's hard to argue with anybody that puts in, that that puts Chelsea in second, third, or fourth. I think there's a really logical argument for Chelsea finishing second, third, and fourth. Um, it's a bit more of a stretch to see us winning the league, but second, third, or fourth, you could understand people's thought process in putting us in any of those positions. So Waddle kind of. I don't necessarily disagree with him putting Chelsea in fourth. Don't necessarily agree with it either. But Man United in first was a shocker. But looking through them, there's 20, 23 pundits have given their predictions and 13 of them have gone for Liverpool to win the league, which suggests they've never watched football before because until Man City did it last year, not last season, last year, season before last, only two teams, two clubs, had ever retained the Premier League title. And it's always been shown as even more difficult than the Champions League to retain. Also... The amount of teams that have won the Premier League or been successful in one way or another and then haven't strengthened have historically struggled massively the next season. Their team has got older. So I was surprised that so many went for Liverpool and not Man City because I think Man City will win the league. Right. Okay. My main gripe with these BBC pundits and again everybody's entitled to their, to their opinion everybody's entitled to the you know free speech but when i look at sky and i listen to talk sport and I'm, you know i hear the tripe and crap that comes out of those two establishments i look at who's said it and i look at their experience as a player and for me what gives them the the experience well you know what gives them the advantage to say what they want to say and you know Chris Waddle as you say you know good player he, he he's been there and done it Alan Shearer top Premier League goal scorer of all time did win the Premier League with a Blackburn side not his beloved Newcastle but he has won the Premier League so people like that you know when they say Liverpool will win the league then yeah you could sort of take it okay he's got a right to say that but when you've got the likes of and I will sort of mention it in, in momentarily, but when you've got the likes of Sue Smith, who before Sky decided to put females on Teddy, no one heard of. Uh, Matthew Upson, he weren't part of the Arsenal Invincibles. He was a bench warmer, let's just put it mildly. Mark Lawrenson, iconic co-commentator. It's a shame he don't do it as much anymore. You know, uh, I'm... Well, Mark, Mark Lawrenson also won four or five league titles with Liverpool. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, That's the, sorry, that was just the only difference between, obviously, like you said, Matthew Upson may have been a, you know, a good footballer, but was never part of massively successful teams for his whole career. Mark Lawrenson was yes. the, the exception in the examples you gave for that particular reason, if that makes sense. You know, Martin Keown, understandably, you know, his opinion matters <laughs> who, who, because who, 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 he was part of the Invincibles. 
where's where's Keown on this list? Oh, there he is. So he's gone Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, Man United, and yeah. See now, it's it's I suppose for me looking through all of these is like sort of touching on your point there that you know you're talking about the you know the more experienced people, the people that have won things, the people that have had like people that you would imagine would have more valid opinions about teams and whether they can be successful or not. It's just interesting to me that the top four is Liverpool, Man City, Man United and Chelsea for 22 of the 23 pundits. Mm. And one pundit, one <laughs> pundit has got a different top four. Obviously, there's Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea in there. But they've gone for Arsenal over Manchester United. Now, the person who said this, uh, he divides opinion. I think that, I think generally he's very, very liked. I think he does divide opinion a little bit sometimes, but it's Ian White. Um, who I think was a very, very entertaining footballer and a very good footballer. People forget that only Henri has scored more goals for Arsenal than Ian Wright. Um, but let's put it into perspective, though. Has Ian said that because of his love for Arsenal? Yeah. Or is, does he genuinely believe no, he that Arsenal will finish oh, above well, Man no. United? He, he genuinely believes it. Like he, he, he himself genuinely believes it because of his love for Arsenal. Because but is it that bias that's yes. over? Yeah, it's overwhelming him. His bias overwhelms him to the point that he believes it. It's like a child that says, I didn't take the donut a million times until they're blue in the face, until they actually believe that they didn't take the donut. But what's the role of a pundit? What's the one rule for a pundit? Well, to be completely unbiased, which is why, Thank we're, you very much. Which is why we're not pundits, because we fucking hate Arsenal and we fucking love Chelsea. <laughs> I touch on your point, but you know, and we're not going to go on t- too long. But I, I just wanted to sort of bring this up because you know, there's people on this list that the BBC, through the taxpayer, is paying a lot of money, Julian Lescott, to give their opinions where their opinions they don't mean shit. Like, like, like Michael Brown. I'm going to have to ask you, like, is that the guy that used to? Did he? Michael he was Michael former Michael. Tottenham and Sheffield United midfielder. Did he play yes. at Hull? Did he maybe go to he was at Hull. I think he even had a stint at Portsmouth as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, yeah. We're, we're sort of questioning who they are. And my, my knowledge of football players, I, I, I like to think that I've got a, you know, quite a good knowledge of footballers and teams and stuff, like especially Premier League era. I'm quite, mm. a, quite a good at quizzes for the Premier League, let's say. But, like, yeah, like some of them. I mean, who the fuck? Like, Chris Sutton. I mean, like, who the fuck even cares? It's like he dismisses his time at Blackburn and only focuses on his time at Celtic. And he won a Premier League at Blackburn. And that was an amazing achievement. Him and Shearer and Wilcox and Colin Hendry and Tim Flowers, David Batty and, you know, Graham Nassau. Graham Nassau. I was just about to say. Yeah, yeah, well, I've got it for you, didn't I? Don't try it. Oh, Bergerac down the left. Don't worry about that. He, um, <laughs> he was a fucking bastard. He, Graham Dessau's on this list, didn't he? Did he give an opinion? He no, no, he didn't. No. But one ex-player who did, who, again, I think is a terrible co-commentator, you know, and again, talk about, bi- you know, talk about bias. Jermaine Penis. Oh, sorry, Genus. Jermaine Genus. My, my goodness. I mean, he's... Uh, the epitome of stupidity. He is the epitome in... of the BBC versions of Jamie Redknapp. <laughs> played in central, played in central midfield. Was a young talent. Was actually a very good footballer. Had an injury blighted. Had his career blighted with injuries, 
and has now gone into punditry and is completely fixed. I'm going to leave it with this because I, I don't want this show to be you know all about Jermaine Genius, but I'll, I will leave it on this one. Jermaine Genius is a sort of guy, if it was raining soup, he'd be outside with a fork. <laughs> he is that kind of guy. I just found it completely sort of insane that, you know, these these people have the right to their opinion in regards to their experience when it comes yeah. to Premier League football. There, there is a difference for me when I listen to Rude Hullet mm. to then Sue Smith or well, Stephen I was going to say, the difference between that is if, if Kevin Kilban was talking, for example, who's one of the pundits that I don't mind on the BBC, who's quite a neutral character, Kevin Kilban, if he's giving his opinion, I might listen to it. I might not. If Rude Hoodick's talking, I listen. And that's mm. the difference. That mm. is the difference. If, mm. You know, I, I, we kind of got a bit bored of listening to Alan Shearer now, but Alan Shearer is quite a good example. You know, if he's talking about a striker and the movement they should or shouldn't be making or they were or weren't making, if you want to understand what a striker needs to do to score goals, you listen to Alan Shearer. Because he scored 260 Premier League goals. Let, let, let's have that right. He scored 30, 32 goals for England, maybe something like that. Probably 40 FA Cup goals and 20 European goals and goals in the Division 1 for Southampton. And like, oh. Anyway, we, di- we digress. We we have digressed so much. I think, we've, I think we'll end up talking about a different sport. But if you agree with our assessment of the lack of experience and lack of intelligence in the BBC pundits, please email us at the blue day podcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and comment on that particular discussion. You know, we would like any, to hear your views. Any, yeah. If you've got any funny clips of the BBC being idiots, and I'm sure there are numerous, please, you know, email them in or put them on the blue day podcast on Facebook and we'll get them on YouTube. and We'll have a bit of a laugh, you know, because I'm sure there's several moments that Jermaine genius has put his foot in it, so to speak. <laughs> But let's move on to the preview for our weekend's game against Liverpool. I was told by my co-host not to not to call them the C word, uh, not to call them not not to call them the champions. But let's but let's talk about them. You know, let's 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 talk about the game. You said earlier on top of the show that if we played like we did last night, then we will struggle to beat them. I I I do agree. I think that the formation. Four two three one. I don't think will be the formation for Sunday. He might, Frank, look at three at the back. Yeah. Quite possibly, that will be an interesting avenue to go down. But it also depends on who he plays in midfield. I believe Kovacic will be available because I think he was he only banned for one game. Yeah, is it one game? I believe it was the only with the one game. So yeah, because it's two. It was two yellows, not a straight red, right? Yes. So he will be available for Sunday. So he will be part of the squad. So do I think we can beat Liverpool? Yes, but I actually personally believe we will draw the game. I can um, see. I, I. I can. I can see us getting something out of the game because uh, of uh, yeah, yeah. our attacking pace. You know the threat that we can have going forward with Havertz. After a few more training sessions, Werner, hopefully the dead leg won't have affected him too much. But with the pace that Liverpool's back four will put on us and we will hit them on the counter, there's going to be so much space in behind that defence. I believe that we will cause them a problem. Whereas last season with Giroud, we couldn't do that. With Tammy, he didn't have that 
nouts of going in behind the strikers because it, oh sorry going in behind the defense because he was getting offside all the time so i'm positive about sunday because i think liverpool are there to be beaten they're not I don't, you know, again it's, it's i think this early stage of the season i think it's a good time to play them warren do you agree i totally agree that it's a good time to play them i think that it's always better to play a team that could potentially go on a run and have like fantastic momentum. It's always better to play them before they have that moment. I think that's quite important. I think that it's not necessarily a good time to play them in another sense because they've just conceded three goals against a team that got to the and Klopp is going to be just fucking stuck into them this week. And if ever there's going to be a time that they're going to be extra motivated at the start of the season, it's going to be after conceding three goals against a team that just got promoted. So... I think that they're going to be more than fucking fed up for it. I think they're going to be looking to make a statement. I think that we could play the same formation if the personnel was different. Um, because Mount and Loftus Cheek wouldn't be being played out of position. We'd have people in actual position, perhaps, and it would be him to the six, perhaps. Um, I do believe he probably will play the, the three slash five wing back formation. Um, to counter Robertson and Arnold and things like that, and then to have three players central to try and flood the centre of the park a little bit. I think we'll win. I think we'll win too. You think we'll win? Yeah. I think Rudiger's going to come back into the team as well. Well, that will be interesting. Again, when we talked about the two centre-backs last night, I thought Christensen was outstanding. And I don't know about outstanding, really. He was. You know, there, there were a lot of times Christensen goes hiding in games, and there are a lot of times Christensen doesn't show his defensive ability to be that rock that we needed. But I thought last night he showed, again, you know, Brighton had more possession than us. You know, Brighton did cause more of a yeah, threat. That's, that's really... That's and Christensen, really, I felt, snuffed it out tremendously yeah, well. I mean, but Christensen did everything right. I mean, like, I mean, he didn't, he wasn't like Zuma. He wasn't lashing out at things and making rash clearances and always desperately trying to win the ball. I think he did position himself quite well. I think Christensen was one of the people that got a unfair time of it last year because it was the organisation not the quality of the players and ultimately that has to fall down to sort of like Frank and Joe to a centre. Uh, but Christiansen, people people forget that Christiansen by the time he was 22, 23 years old had played 40 games at international level. This is mm-hmm. the guy who went to Germany and there was four or five clubs in Germany that was like, right, we want him. How much do you want? And it wasn't a case of, oh, can we take him on? No, no, no. It was a case of how much do you want for him? Do you want twenty? Like, do you want twenty-five million for him? There was a number of German clubs that wanted to pay thirty million for him after his stint at Gladbach. There were, you know, a number of German clubs that wanted to sign him. So, I think that he he is a player that's going to divide opinion most definitely. But it'll be interesting to see if Thiago Silva's going to be available. I do agree. In, in, sorry to cut you there. In no, that's mind, fine. When we brought Thiago in, in my mind, it was going to be him and Rudiger. You reckon Silva and Rudiger? When, when we was playing two at the back, right. in my mind, it was always going to be Thiago, Silva and Rudiger. When we was playing three at the back, it'd be a choice of Christensen or Zuma coming in if, if Tomori went out on loan because Ampadu has as well. So that's kind of what I was thinking because I was thinking Thiago would spend a year there, maybe even two. And then when he moves on, Tomori and Ampadu will come back. Christiansen or Zuma would have moved on. Rudiger would have been our mainstay centre-back. And then one of them out of Tomori and Ampadu. Uh, Tomori and Ampadu, who both, by the way, would be capable of playing in the centre. Well, folks, what are your thoughts on the upcoming game against Liverpool? And who would you start? So what 
myself and my co-host would would like to ask you is please email us at the blue day podcast at gmail.com with your predictions for the starting 11 and what your score predictions would be or if not find us on facebook and comment on some of the links and actually post what you would put as your starting yeah. 11 for the game on sunday your opinions about last night's game and everything as we said and most definitely. But to finish off the show today, my friend, we're going to talk about the feedback that we've had yeah. over the last week from the first episode to today. And in my opinion, you know, such a strong response, yeah. positive response yeah, yeah, really. to the podcast. I mean, I mean, I, I'm going to sort of mention a few comments that I have received. But Warren, do you want to sort of go ahead and kick off things? Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, I mean, the feedback has been, you know, really good. We've had sort of, um, I'm not sure if it's just from podcast viewers or just YouTube viewers in general as well, but we've had a good few hundred views come up on the, uh, I think we're up to a, nearly a thousand views on the YouTube page. And we've got sort of, I'm just having a little look here on the uh, Blue Day podcast. We've sort of got 63 likes, so to speak, on the page. And we've had a nice few comment, few comments and stuff. Um, I advertised it on um, Instagram and a few people have contacted me on YouTube just giving their giving their feedback really just like you know saying that they really enjoyed the show they enjoyed the banter between the two of us and stuff so that was really good there was one message on Facebook in particular that, um, from Steve Martin who says that he doesn't use Facebook very much but um, he was saying that he really enjoyed it and he's you know a bit of an old school fan and stuff and it was actually him that said he was one of the first people, I think, to comment uh, to go on and find all the videos on YouTube, actually. So, yes. Yeah, you know, yes. So th th thanks a lot for your support. Yeah, stuff. Steve, top man. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you, you very much. I hope you're listening. Um, we do intend to actually get round to um, messaging some people directly, so to speak. And Steve's certainly going to be people that give you a message. Thank you for your support. Ask you for your particular opinion. Try and get your views on air and stuff. I've had a lot of positive feedback, obviously, obviously, you know, we've advertised it amongst our friends and stuff. So um, there's a few people that have been listening. Steve Boots, who's been over the, all over the country following Chelsea with me. He's been to Newcastle, Liverpool, Man United just in the last sort of year or so with me. So um, he really enjoyed the show and uh, sort of like concurred with a lot of stuff that we said, really. And I know that he was very pleased to get the last night and didn't really care too much about the formation he wants Kepa gone and we got the three points and that's all he cares about and that seems to be the general consensus from the feedback that I've got personally is get Kepa out and happy with the three points <laughs> I just want to mention one particular comment uh, that I received four days ago on the Facebook page and again find us on Facebook the Blue Day podcast A gentleman by the name of Joe and just to be on the safe side, I won't mention his surname, he gave a comment and which I thought was fantastic. You know, really actually made me happy knowing that yeah. people see this as an avenue for them to listen and for them to air their views. This gentleman said, I had a long drive for work, so gave it a listen. Was sat in the car with goosebumps listening about the pre-match build-up at the bridge and the match audio. Decent to hear actual fans talk about the club as well. Joe, thank you very much. For your comments they are much appreciated by me and my co-host and there's a few others that have also commented you know about the season in general 
looking forward to this season more than others. This gives me a similar feeling to the 83-84 season with so many new signings. I can't wait to get started. Stuart, thank you very much for making that comment. I, I must say that I, I thoroughly enjoyed all of the comments. You know, Steve Boots has made a comment there and there is um, Alan Hodge um, commented another, a couple of really nice um, comments as well. So thank you very much for that. But that particular one that you've just mentioned there was my favourite because, we, like we said, we want to reach Chelsea fans everywhere. And there are a doldrum of Chelsea fans that are almost forgotten from an era from the, from the 80s in particular sort of thing when Chelsea weren't a successful club and weren't winning things relegated. And they were the fans that were there every single season and supporting us and buying the pitch so that they couldn't redevelop our football ground and turning out in their tens of thousands every single week in different things. You know, when we when we got promoted against Leeds and they invaded the pitch 17 times and all the rest of it, they're the forgotten fans and they're people that I really, really, I was so pleased that even just one of our people, whether he listened to the show or not, and whether, I mean, whether to the show this week or not, but they're the people that are speaking to. You don't get so many of them at Stamford Bridge anymore. Obviously, Stamford Bridge is a lot more corporate and a lot more, Obviously, we're so much more successful. We've got so many more fans, and a lot of fans are priced out of the games. And they're the people that I want to hear. The platform for you guys as well to air your opinion and tell us what you think about the modern-day Chelsea fan. Tell us what you think about Chelsea as a football club now compared to how it was when you went in 1980. Let us know. Get in contact with us. That was by far my sort of favourite comment, so to speak. Although <laughs> I, they're all my favourite comments. All the comments are great. Like, all of Every them, single all of comment is great. Favorite course they were but that was the one that was like yeah like that's exactly one of the things that I'm looking for out of this I just wish to concur with you you know this 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 podcast is for fun you know we're doing this in our spare time for our love for Chelsea we're never going to charge for this channel this channel is always I can exclusively say right now this channel will always be free to air to everybody that is the point we are giving Chelsea fans a voice. You know, the ones that perhaps are priced out of matches, as you've said, the ones that have had season tickets since being five, six years old, watching us lift the FA Cup or the Cup Winners' Cup. And or lifting nothing for 27 years. Exactly. Seeing the likes of Ray Wilkins, Clive Walker, Kerry Dixon, Grace Stanford Bridge. Jimmy you Gilles, know, Bobby Tamblyn. Uh, yes, Peter Burnetti. I mean, the, the list is too. And even going, you know, sort of towards the late eighties and nineties. You know, looking at the likes of Mark Hughes, looking oh. at the likes of Ken Moncow, Dave Besson, of course, the icon that is Dennis Wise. You know, these guys who have followed these particular players that perhaps don't go to matches anymore because of family commitments. We want you, ladies and gentlemen, to have a voice on this show. So please feel free to contact us through Facebook, upload your memories on our YouTube, you know, contact us, upload your memories on our YouTube channel. If you wish to comment on your views on Chelsea and how, how things are going at the moment, it is the blue day podcast at gmail.com. So ladies and gentlemen, that's it for us for this week. I have been Keith Florence. He's been Warren. Harry J and the All-Stars are going to play us out. So, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the rest of your week and carefree.
Social Podcast Network.